Okay. Well, welcome to the Sirius Seminar for April 13th, 2016. Today I'm pleased to present uh, Mr. Pedro Moreno Sanchez, who is in the PhD program here in computer science at Purdue. Uh, Pedro comes to us from the University of Saarland. Uh, for those of you who don't, don't know where this is, it's uh, kind of a corner of Germany, very close to France, very, uh, you know, very international flavor of the area, and that gets him a taste of two countries. His undergraduate uh, being uh, work in Spain gives him a third, and uh, how we ever got him to come to Indiana is a, is a good question. But, uh, but he's going to be talking to us about privacy-preserving payments in credit networks. Okay. Thank you for the introduction, Professor. Um, as he said, my name is Pedro Moreno Sanchez, and I'm a PhD student here at Computer Science under the supervision of Professor Aniket Kate. And today I will talk about my work in privacy preserving payments. Um, let me start with an introduction to credit networks. Um, credit networks are used to um, represent trust among users in uh, using credit allocations. Let's see that uh, by an example. So it's assumed that we have two users, Alice and Bob, and they are friends. And for some reason, Alice needs some credits from Bob. Because Bob trusts Alice, then he can pay her $20. And at that moment, Alice owes $20 to Bob. This situation in the real world, we can represent in the credit network using a directed edge from Alice to Bob with a weight of 20. As you can imagine, this process can be repeated several times, and a complete credit network can be uh, constructed in this manner. Uh, then the, the question naturally arises is that why we need credit networks in the first place. Um, the idea is that credit networks have interesting properties that have been used to create civil uh, tolerant applications. In particular, credit networks tolerate, uh, tolerate misbehaving users. For example, uh, assume that here Alice becomes a uh, misbehaving user, then it's easy for Alice to create several uh, nodes, which are malicious, and we call them civil identities, and connect uh, connect all the civil identities between each other. However, it's difficult for Alice to get trust from the honest users in the network. Therefore, introducing nodes is much easier for Alice than drawing trust from honest nodes. This asymmetry allows us to have the interesting property that this mis uh, misbehaving user effect is localized to those users that have granted trust to Alice. And the misbehaving user effect is also bounded by the amount of credit that honest users have granted to the malicious guy. This interesting property has been used to create several applications. For example, in Ostra, they use a credit network to uh, prevent spam in the email system. Also, in Bazaar, they use a credit network to improve the recommendation systems in online marketplaces, such as eBay. Another example is SumUp, in which they build a civil, resili uh, civil resilient content voting. Examples of credit networks are not only in academia, but also in industry. And one example of that is, is Repo. They have used uh, the concept of credit network to build a real-life online payment network. In the rest of my talk, I'm going to focus on this application scenario in the payment network. As I said, Ripple is deployed in practice and has more than 180,000 accounts and has more than $6 million in credit issued in the network. 
The key, fe the key feature of the repo network is that nodes represent uh, not only users, but also banks. For example, CVW and Cross River here in America. We have the example of Feeder in Germany. There is also another example, Santander in Spain and other European countries. Another interesting property is that Repo allows to transact uh, not only fiat currencies, but also user-defined currencies and cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin. Repo uh, has several advantages over the banking system that we have currently. For example, transactions are much faster, that, uh, that they, or a transaction in Ripple takes much uh, smaller time than what we have today in the banking system. It is possible to perform intercurrency transactions and they can be done worldwide with a much smaller fee than what we have today in the banking system. And the integrity, the correctness of the network is publicly verifiable. Everybody can check uh, that all the transactions in repo are done correctly. This publicly verifiability comes uh, with the fact that the repo network publishes all, all the information. All the repo network is public. For example, they publish the whole set of transactions from the moment in which Ripple was created until today. They also publish all the credit links uh, existing among all the users in the network. And they publish also what they call the Ripple Ledger. This is a database that contains all the accounts, and for each account, they associate the balance that they have in the Ripple network. In this manner, when a transaction comes, then the public information is uh, correctly updated, and everybody can check that the transaction was correctly performed. This public information, however, comes with, the, with a problem, with a privacy problem. So users in the Ripple network are represented by pseudonyms, which in reality are the hash of their public keys. Given that, it is possible to link all the transactions that are performed by the same pseudonym, by the same, uh, yeah, same account. Uh, therefore, Ripple network provides only linkable anonymity. In other scenarios, have been, uh, link anonymity has been shown to be prone to de-anonymization attacks. Um, the, for example, in other scenarios, it's possible to see which are the medical bills that are paid by one user in the system. At this point, we ask ourselves during, during our research, which is the actual privacy problem that the Ripple network has because of this linkable anonymity. In order to answer this question, let me tell you a story. Um, Imagine here that Alice has some Bitcoins in the Bitcoin system. And given that, she can pay to any service that accepts Bitcoins as a payment. However, it might be the case that she needs to pay in, in any other currency, or she just wants to uh, trade these Bitcoins by any other currency. In order to do that, she can transfer these Bitcoins in the Ripple network. Because as we have seen before, in the Ripple network, you can perform intercurrency transactions. In order to do that, the Ribbon Network has introduced the uh, one special type of nodes, which is called gateways. Uh, a gateway is basically a node in the Ribbon Network that has also an account in other systems, in this case, the Bitcoin system, and allows to transfer money or transfer currency between the two systems. In this case, uh, the gateway will allow to transfer currency from Bitcoin to Ripple and vice versa. In this example here, uh, Dividend Ripple will be an example of, of a gateway. Given that, then what Alice can do is transfer her bitcoins to the gateway, and these will, uh, will be represented by a transaction in the Bitcoin system. Verifiability, verifiability in the Bitcoin system is also um, given by the fact that they 
published the whole list of transactions that have been happening in the Bitcoin in the Bitcoin uh, system. For those of you who know, uh, they are called Bitcoin blockchain, and you can really check all the transactions that have been happening. Once the, the gateway has received all the Bitcoins, then the gateway can create the corresponding transaction in Ripple, transacting the corresponding amount of Bitcoins to Alice. As we have seen, this generates a transaction that is publicly available in the Ripple ledger. Now, even though Alice is using different pseudonyms, different accounts in Bitcoin and Ripple, if we are able to link these two transactions together, we are able to link the two pseudonyms that are used uh, by Alice in the two systems and link them to the person of Alice. We can do a similar thing for the, um, for the gateway, for dividend Ripple. And in our work, we show that this is only the tip of the iceberg. We have been able to link transactions, uh, to link pseudonyms also for other cryptocurrencies. And not only for Ripple network, but for also for other emerging credit networks such as Stellar. And these details can be found in, in the work that I'm doing with my supervisor, Aniket Kate, and the colleague Safar from Saarland University. Given this privacy problem, the natural question is, how can we have privacy preserving payments in credit networks? But before, going, uh, before answering this question, let me show you how actually a payment works in the credit network. In this example, imagine that the gray user wants to pay 10 credits to the uh, pink user. In order to do that, we need to find first a path from the sender to the receiver. This path is depicted in orange. And this is a valid path because every link in the path has at least 10 credits. Once we have found such a path, then we can perform the payment by decreasing 10 credits in each link on the path. Once we have done that, then the payment is actually performed. Uh, performing such a payment is actually challenging and it has the challenge that we call the routing challenge. And basically the idea is like how we can determine a, a credit route from the sender to the receiver that has enough credit. In order to solve this challenge, existing systems are using the max flow approach. However, several works have shown that it's inefficient. Therefore, as an alternative, Sushiya in 98 showed an alternative that is called Lama routing. And the idea here is to calculate only a subset of all possible paths from the sender to the receiver. In a bit more detail, we uh, take one node in the network that is called Landmark, and we calculate all the shortest path from the Landmark to every other net, uh, node in the network. Then we can use this process not only for one Landmark, but for several of them. Similarly, we can uh, take into account the reverse edges in the network, and we can calculate the shortest path from every node to the Landmark. This information thereby created is called the Landmark universe. Once we have this information, and at, in order to perform a transaction, we need to find out the partial path from the sender to the landmark, then the partial path from the landmark to the receiver, and finally we can stitch these two partial paths together and we get a whole path from the sender to the receiver. We will use this technique in our, in our system in order to uh, determine the credit routes from sender to the receiver. But before showing the details of the system, let me show you which are the privacy definitions that we take into account. The first privacy definition, we call it transaction value privacy. And in a nutshell, it says that 
A credit network satisfies value privacy if it's not possible to determine the actual transacted value from a sender to a receiver, given that we fix both, the sender and the receiver. Uh, the other property that we take into account is transaction receiver privacy. And here we say that a credit network satisfies uh, transaction receiver privacy if given a fixed sender and a fixed transaction amount, we cannot determine which is the actual receiver of the transaction. We have defined these privacy definitions as a cryptographic game. And a cryptographic game is a game between two players that's called, that are called challenger and attacker. And the game is uh, differentiated or has several phases. The first phase is called query phase. In this phase, the challenger has uh, the credit network stored in his memory and outputs a series of operations that the attacker can use to interact with the credit network. For example, he can change links, perform payments, test the value of a link, or test the credit between two, two nodes. For example, the attacker can query the challenger to create a link from Bob to Alice. This query goes to the challenger, who in turn uh, performs the query into his own credit network. And then the challenger gives the result to the attacker, either successful or unsuccessful. As you can imagine, this process can be repeated several times so that the attacker can create the whole credit network as he wishes. Now the cryptographic game enters the challenge phase. In this phase, the attacker creates two challenge transactions. They have the same sender, the same receiver, and different transacted value. Now, the challenger picks one of them at random. Let's assume that he picks the second one. Here, we consider the strongest attacker possible, in the sense that the attacker knows the complete network before the challenge, we, and we will allow him to know the complete network after the challenge. Therefore, in order to have any meaningful uh, privacy definition, we need some information that is not known to the attacker. We model that unknown information as a balancing transaction. In real life, this means that there should be at least one transaction in the real repo network that is not under the control of the attacker. For those of you that know the voting scenario, this balancing transaction is similar to the balancing vote in this voting scenario. Once the challenger has chosen this balancing transaction, he applies first this balancing transaction into the, into the network, then he applies second the challenge transaction, and challenger gives back the result of the two transactions to the challenger. Here, we have shown only the case in which both <coughs> transactions are successful, but in our work, we show the different cases that we can have. After the challenge phase, the game enters the query phase in which the attacker can query the challenger to know the state of the complete network at this moment. And finally, the game enters the, the guess phase, where the attacker has to guess which was the challenge transaction picked by the challenger. Given this game, we define transaction value privacy formally, saying that a credit network satisfies uh, transaction value privacy if for every probabilistic and polynomial time attacker, the probability that the attacker correctly guesses the challenge transaction picked by the challenger is close up to a negligible factor to the probability that the attacker does not guess correctly the challenge transaction picked by the challenger. Here, as an example, I have shown the definition for transaction value privacy, but in our work, we show also the cryptographic game for the other property, transaction receiver privacy. We, in our work, we show that uh, 
question. Yeah. What about the sender? You only talk about receiver privacy, but uh, the value price, what about senders? So in the idea is that uh, in our system, and we will say later, senders are the ones that are actually sending the query to our system. So uh, we know who is the sender. So th who, whoever has the network knows who is the sender, because he's the one who sends the query. If we want to have sender privacy, then we need the sender to use an anonymous communication network. He knows to hide his identity while sending the query to the server. But in, 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 in principle, it's possible to have a sender privacy, and it's similar to this definition. Okay. So yeah, as, I, as I was saying, that defining privacy in such a credit network is, is a challenge. Uh, remember that we need to update several information which is uh, publicly available. But then on the other hand, we want to hide which are the transaction values. Then how can we know which is the actual paid amount in order to update the information? We also want to hide the transaction participants, either the sender or the receiver. Then uh, how we know who is the sender and the receiver actually to update either the repeat ledger or the corresponding credit net credits in the credit network. In our approach, the credit network is stored in a server environment and we use oblivious algorithms to access this information. And in order to run these algorithms efficiently, we make use of a trusted hardware. Our approach is called Prefe, and this slide gives an overview of our system. Uh, this work was done with my supervisor, Professor Aniket Kate, and Professor Matteo Maffei and Kim Petsina from Saarland University. In this work, we take the credit network and we store it in an encrypted manner inside the service provider. The key for this encryption is stored in the memory of a uh, trusted hardware or secure processor. The idea then is that the memory of this secure processor cannot be read by anybody, even by the service provider. However, even if the uh, memory is encrypted, we need to make sure that the access pattern to the memory doesn't leak any information. Imagine that naive access to the encrypted information does not suffice. They could break privacy. For example, if we, for a payment, if we uh, query the encrypted data a, a certain number of times, this could leak, which is the length of the path. Or if we access the same encrypted slot twice, we could know that the same user is participating in two, in two uh, payments. So in order to avoid uh, to leak the access pattern, we define with our uh, oblivious algorithms. In particular, we define two oblivious algorithms, the universe creator and the transaction module. The universe creator is in charge of creating the landmark universe. All this information that contains the information from the landmark to sorted path to every node in the network. The transaction module is in charge of receiving queries from the clients and perform them in the credit network. Finally, we need to assume that the clients have a secure and authenticated channel to the secure processor, as otherwise privacy would be trivially, uh, trivially broken. We have implemented our system as a multi-threaded C++ library. In particular, we have implemented both of the algorithms that we have seen, and we have tested with real ripple transactions over a period of four months. And this table depicts which are our results. In particular, we have compared our system with a non-private credit network that was created by Vizna Mathetau. We have seen that the time to perform a payment is around one second and a half, which is considerably bigger than the non-private setting. However, we observe that this time is 
allow us to deploy prepay still in practice. So imagine that Ripple currently, uh, or a transaction in Ripple currently takes around five seconds. The other algorithm, the uh, Larmac universe creation, takes around 22 seconds. However, this is not a problem because this algorithm can be run in background and we can perform or we can uh, handle the transaction queries independently. Finally, uh, we are, as you remember, we are using Lama routing and we are considering only a subset of all possible paths. That means that our system uh, flags as successful only 95% of the transaction. The other 5% of the transactions are false negative. That means that our system flags them as unsuccessful, even though there was enough credit in the, ne in the network to carry out them. However, the point is that our system doesn't incur in any false positive, which means that users using prepay are not losing credit, actually. Given these results, the question that we had is that, is this system the perfect solution? Can we, can we just deploy this system and solve all the privacy problems that we have? The, the idea is that uh, prepay gives strong privacy guarantees, and as we have seen from our experiments, can be deployed in practice. The problem is like the actual deployment in the real system, we will have to solve or overcome some challenges. For example, we have seen that the complete network is stored in an encrypted manner in a service provider. The idea is who should be the server that stores the complete network. The other point is that we need to use, uh, we need to use a secure processor, trusted hardware. Then uh, first, who should be the server that install the trusted hardware and updates correctly this trusted hardware? And second, how should be the other participant in the network trust that this server is going to correctly update the trusted hardware? Finally, we saw that removing the trusted hardware itself is not a solution either. Uh, remember that to perform a transaction, you need information not only about the sender and then the receiver, but also about nodes which are in the middle of the path. Therefore, uh, yeah, doing naive, uh, a naive solution over the encrypted data will break privacy as well. Then at this point, we asked ourselves if there was some alternative to this solution. And the, the answer is obviously affirmative, and the idea is that we could, uh, we could use a distributed credit network. The idea of a distributed credit network is that each user maintains her own credit links. For example, imagine that we have a credit network like the one depicted in the slides. The idea would be that Alice will have locally stored her credit links to Bob, and in the same manner will have locally his links not only to, uh, to Alice, but also to other users in the credit network. There are several points why we can use a distributed setting in a credit network. First is that the credit links of a user, the local credit link of a user, determine his whole credit in the network. For example, the credit, network, uh, the credit links of Bob determine how much credit he has in the whole credit network. So looking at his local information, Bob knows that he has 45 incoming credit or incoming flow. He knows that there are 25 uh, outflow credit and the net flow is 20. The interesting property is that he knows this information independently of all the credit that are in the rest of the credit network. The other point that we observe is that in order, to or in order for a user to ensure that he's not losing credit, he needs to check only that his net flow is not uh, changing without his consent. And he can do that looking only at local information. 
for example, imagine that we have the same network as before, and now Charles wants to transact five credits to Ali. In order to perform such a payment, we can use the path that goes through Bob. And in that manner, the credit links are decreased by five. Now the inflow and the outflow changes, however, the net flow becomes the same, or remains the same. As you can imagine, deploying a complete credit network over a distributed system has several challenges. For example, how can we create or how can we calculate the credit available in the complete path when now we don't have a central point in which we have the information about all the, all the links? Even, even, even better, or even another challenge is that how can we ensure that the credit links actually are forming a path in such a distributed setting? And becomes even more challenging we need when we need to maintain really strong privacy guarantees. In the rest of the talk, I'm going to give you a hint how can we solve these problems in a distributed setting. First, let's see how can we calculate the credit uh, in a path. In this distributed setting, we are using a distributed setting of the Larmar routing. That's why in this example of, the, of a path, we have a path that goes from the sender to the Larmark and from the Larmark to the receiver. Now a nice idea would be that every user sends his credit in clear to the landmark. Now the landmark has all the information needed to calculate the minimum of the path. Let me remind you that the value, the credit value in a path is the minimum of the credits on each link in the path. So for example, in this path, the credit available would be 10. The naive solution of sending all the values to the landmark doesn't work because trivially breaks privacy. Or in, in particular, breaks the value privacy, the link value privacy. Uh, alternative solution would be to use the fact that there are several landmarks in the system. Alarmark in such a system, or the role of alarmark in such a system, can be can be done by a bank that we have if we deploy this in the current banking system, or could be done by a gateway if in the case of uh, repo. Then the approach that we can use is that. Every user in the in the path, for example, let's say that example Bob, he takes his credit value 30, he creates three secret copies of the value 30 and sends one of these one of these secret copies to each of the landmarks. This technique can be done if you remember with secret sharing. And secret sharing we have seen in this seminar several weeks ago. The nice property of this technique is that given a share of a value x, it's not possible to know which is the actual value of x. However, even with this solution, how, we, how can we ensure that a secret value comes from somebody who is actually in the path from the sender to the receiver? Therefore, we need to find a way to prove that we are in a path or we, are, we have a link that is in a path. One naive solution would be that once we send, or Bob in this case sends the secret value, he also attach or attaches the identities of the two ends of the link. However, again, this will trivially break privacy. Our approach instead is to create a proof of the existence of a credit link. So as an example, imagine that we want to prove that the link from Alice to Bob appears in the, in the credit network. And assume that uh, both, uh, all of them, Alice, Bob, and the Larmar, has some secret information, for example, a secret key. For that, we have defined a protocol that is called link signature. 
the input to this protocol is the secret key. So every party inputs the secret key to the protocol, and the output is an anonymous credential. This credential can be used for either by both, uh, by Alice or Bob, to prove to the landmark the existence of such a link. The interesting properties of this protocol is that even after running the protocol, the secret keys remain secret. Remain secret. The other interesting property is that the identities of Alice and Bob are kept secret after running the protocol, or they are not revealed to the landmark. Now we can combine these two techniques to actually calculate the credit in a path. So in mind that we have the same setting as before, now what Bob can do is that he sends to each of the landmark one share of the value and attaches also the credential that we have calculated as we have seen before. Here we use uh, several interesting um, features of this, of this technique. First is that given the credential from each link in the path, it is possible to figure out that all the links actually conform a path from the sender to the receiver. The other property that we need is the homomorphic properties of the secret sharing. Intuitively, the idea is that if we get a share of a value x and a share of a value y and we sum them up, we get a share of the sum of x plus y. Analogously, if we get a share of a value x and a share of a value y and we multiply them together, we get a share of the multiplication of the both. With that, with that property, the landmark, so every landmark has a share of, for each of the links in the path. Therefore, every landmark locally can calculate the share of the minimum of the path. Once the landmark has this information, can send it to the sender. Now, sender can use the property that given enough copies of x or given enough shares of the value x, it is possible to recover the actual value of x. In, the, in our example, given that Alice gets enough shares of the minimum of the path, Alice can reconstruct the minimum. And finally, we can perform the payment itself. In order to perform the actual payment, we use a GOSIC protocol that goes from neighbor to neighbor. In our example, Alice in, the in our example in the previous slide, we know that Alice knows the, the minimum, knows that he can transact up to 10 credits from sender to the receiver. Imagine, for example, that she decides to transact five. The first thing that she will do is decrease her local link from 30 to 25 and tells the next node that she's willing to transact five. And the same step is performed at each, at, at each node in the path. In that manner, the whole path is decreased by five and the whole payment is performed. The interesting observation here is that you might have noticed that we don't hide the actual transacted value in this setting. The idea is that it's not necessary. Uh, so when we perform the payment, the local links are updated. So when you perform the updates, you actually see which is the transacted value yourself. So even if you hide it, at some moment when you update your local information, you will get to know which is the actual, the transacted, the actual transacted value. Therefore, using such a gossip neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor protocol doesn't incur in any privacy laws. In our work, we detail all these techniques and discuss also how to handle other system issues. For example, uh, we handle how to manage when users go offline. So if you remember, users locally store the information about the links 
Now when they go offline, we don't have any longer this information. We also discuss how it's possible to manage the situation in which one of the nodes or some of the nodes become malicious and they don't follow the protocol as we define. We also discuss how it's possible to perform uh, several simultaneous payments or several concurrent payments. And we detail all these uh, system issues in the work that I'm performing with my supervisor, Professor Matteo Maffei, and a student, Julio Malavolta. Yep. Um, I have a question. Can you, can you elaborate on, on how the, the landmarks can compute the minimum? Do they use the homomorphic properties of the so, secret uh, sharing and, and if yes, how? So they have assigned, they run as uh, secure multi-party computation protocol. So the idea is that they have as an input the share value of each of the, yeah, the share value of each of the links in the path. And with that input, they uh, interact between each other in order to run a protocol. And the output of the protocol is actually the minimum. Yep. And you need the homomorphic properties to make the uh, secure multi-party computation work? We need the homomorphic properties in actually to, to perform the, the, the operation. So in order to define the minimum over two shares, you need to perform a circuit or a, you, you need to define the function and the operations of the function are defined over sum and multiplication of the shares. So you need to have this property over the shares. Yep. Any other question? Okay, so with that, I would like to conclude my talk by giving you which is the take home message of this, uh, this talk. First, we have seen that credit networks have interesting properties and can be used in multiple scenarios. Second, we have seen that privacy is a real and challenging problems in credit networks. We have seen that it is possible to define privacy properties of interest for credit networks, and we have done so in the terms of transaction value privacy and transaction receiver privacy. We have defined PrivPay, a novel architecture that combines trusted hardware and oblivious algorithms. And we have seen, finally, that alternative, alternatively, we can define a distributed architecture in order to enforce privacy guarantees in credit networks. And with that, I would like to conclude my talk and thank you all for your attention. Thank you. Getting back to, I mean, there's been so much interest in the e-cash type of networks. Mm -hmm. uh, just to, to kind of bring back, what's the key reason why you couldn't just use an e-cash approach mm -hmm. to, to simulate a credit network? So in e-cash, uh, in e-cash approach, you are trying to solve the, um, what is called the double spending problem. And the idea there is that you have accounts that have some balance. And in order to perform a payment, you decrease the balance from one account and increase it in the other account. The, the point in credit network is uh, they don't use direct payments from account to the other, but they use payments using a path. Therefore, ECAS don't get uh, the notion of a path in a payment. That's why we cannot use it directly in our setting. But I mean, if you were to, if you were to just move the eCash around the path, Mm -hmm. uh, shouldn't that shouldn't that work, or is there something different happening there? The the point is, is, is not trivial. How would that mean to move the e cash around the path? 
for example, in Bitcoin today, uh, they are trying to do um, what is called a payment path in, in Bitcoin. Uh, they call it Lightning Network. And the idea basically is like having a sender and a receiver, and they are separated by multiple hops. And there they are trying to define exactly like something similar, like how to perform a kind of an e-cash payment, a Bitcoin payment through a path. And they're having several problems, or it's not clear how to do it, it's not trivial. So having the notion of a path in a payment is, is not trivial from e-cash to, to, yeah, from the e-cash setting. No, you just can't say they are problems. What are the problems <laughs> that they're having, right? Yeah, the, the, the issue, is like, so the one simple example I would say, that imagine that you have only one hop payment. When the first hop pays, you need to ensure that the one in the middle is gonna pay to the receiver. So you need kind of scroll mechanism, and how you do that is, is not easy. So they have a scroll mechanism there, but it's not trivial. The second property is that in order to preserve privacy in such a setting, it's even less trivial, it's not so easy. Because the approach that they have now today is that they make a scroll, and in order to release the scroll, you need to know some information. And this information reveals, in a sense, who is, who is in the path. So reveals which are the, the users in the path. So first, how to come up even with a non-private setting is not trivial. Second, having privacy in such a setting is even more complicated, or at least we don't know a solution yet. That would be my answer. Maybe one my thing, supervisor one thing I wanted to ask, so you talk about concurrency and all those things in second solution, but what about the first solution where you have numbers and everything, but you don't talk about the, those issues like what happens when there are concurrent transactions? That's the important thing, right? Yeah, that's, that's true. I, I should maybe have added a slide on that. Um, there we, we saw that it's possible to um, do concurrent transactions as long as they don't share a path or they don't share a link. Um, if there are two payments that go through a path that has some common links, that is not trivial how to perform current transactions. So even in the first solution, we don't have a clear way of doing concurrent transactions that share a link. If they are independent payments, you can you can do concurrent transactions without a problem. And if there there is a link, then what? I mean, that's a yeah. Then if there is a link, our solution is to sec uh, make them in a sequence. So because um, all the transaction goes through the uh, trusted hardware, goes through, uh, yeah, the trusted hardware receives the, the queries from the user, and, they, and the trusted hardware handles them in sequence. So we handle the first one, uh, do it in the credit network, and then when the second one comes, there is no uh, conflict any longer because the state is already the, the most updated one. So. What I, what I want to say is that because we are able to sequence the transaction, there is no problem with the concurrent transaction that share a link. That's, that's the, the answer. But why you need trusted hardware in the first place? In the sense of, in which like sense? Why, 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 why can't you just solve just on the server itself? For, for the concurrent transactions or for the no, whole setting? No, in general, like, even for the concurrence, that will be good, but mm -hmm. yeah, in general. In general, is that uh, it doesn't suffice to have all encrypted data. It's also it's a matter how you actually update such encrypted data. So, and also it's not clear when you encrypt a data, you need some key for this data. How you, who is the who is the owner of such key actually? So imagine that you don't have trusted hardware, means that you need to encrypt the whole credit network under a key. Who is the owner of that key? Either 
you give it to everybody because in a payment, as I said, you need the whole information of the network. But if you give the key to everybody, then privacy is still really broken. Or you give the key only to one user, but then the other users don't, cannot get information from the network. Then they cannot perform payments. So one of the main issues is like how you handle the cryptographic keys that you need to use to encrypt the, the information. That's one of the issues that we had with the transformer. So something like you know, like Bitcoin, for example, instead of the trusted hardware, it's multiple hardware sources where you assume that that the majority are trusted, or, right? Is a, a different approach. Now in Bitcoin, what they have is called proof of work, yeah. and the idea there is that you need to do a computation which uh, takes some uh, time actually. So you have to generate several hashes. But uh, the but but what I'm saying is that the, the reason you can't then just share yeah. that with others is because everything gets stored. These get stored at multiple servers, and you're assuming. Right, if you have multiple servers colluding, mm -hmm. you can break Bitcoin. Um, if you have enough servers colluding, or enough like sites colluding. Um, I think I don't entirely uh, okay. understand the question. So I, I'm just saying that, that the alternative, I mean, if you look at things that don't rely on trusted hardware, mm -hmm. what they're often doing instead is saying we have, you know, we, we distribute we, we distribute the trust among many sites and assume that the majority of them are trusted. Mm -hmm. And so that isn't all, but, but you still, in, in effect, well, you're not, in effect, you still have the trusted hardware. It's just mm -hmm. done in a different way. Well, think, um, yeah. yeah, additional thing which is required, uh, which is required is the, pri the stronger privacy properties. Yeah. As compared to the standard Bitcoin, the prop privacy properties here are stronger, so that mm -hmm. also lead to having some trusted hardware. Mm -hmm. But you actually show that you can do it without trusted hardware, right? With the distributed approach. Zero pay. Zero pay. The point you actually showed it that trusted hardware is not essential. It's not you essential. Can't do it, you, you can do it. You can replace it by a distributed network. Exactly. You can do it in a distributed setting. The but then the point is that like you need kind of a trust assumption, like non-collusion assumption about the server. So in our case, it's the non-collusion assumption about the landmarks. Um, yeah, but I think as, as usual, uh, having uh, fully privacy or having a privacy or even security without any assumption seems complicated, actually. That's it. Well, I'd uh, like to uh, thank Pedro again for this. And just a reminder, next week the Sirius Seminar will be held as part of the Sirius Symposium. The location will be uh, Stuart 302. You'll be upstairs. Uh, and it will be Dickie George uh, talking about life as a target, what it's like to deal with computer security when you're at a place that's really under attack. Uh, and uh, for if you want to know a little bit more about that, read the, the abstract. I'm 
don't want to say anything beyond what's in the abstract. <laughs> and, uh, and also, if you have not yet registered for the Sirius Symposium, I believe there is still time to do so. And uh, you know, make sure to do so, because there's a lot more than just that uh, one seminar mm -hmm. involved. Okay, well thank you again. Thank you. And